All paths, all paths lead to God. You've heard it said, right? Do all paths lead to good? Let's come back to that. We just finished the series, Run to the Tomb. And I hope I've encouraged you through this to to believe that this life you get to live as a Christian now is not just a veil of suffering, but something of a grand adventure. And the adventure is the battle to believe God is a God of grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And the words which he has left, not written in stone, but written in ways that are beyond man's ability. You couldn't make this book if you tried. And here it stands as a proclamation once and for all that you have a guide, a Holy Spirit with you, who when he reads these words comes alive more and more, and he intends to walk you from now unto your everlasting resurrection. I want to inspire you to take that with you into your daily humdrum sojourn, because I know the journey is hard. I get it. I live on the same planet. I wear funny clothes on Sunday, but I walk around just like you all. And I can feel it when the times get tough, and I can feel it when the pressures are heavy, and I can feel it when I don't know where the answers are going to come from. And I'm a Christian. And so when those times come, I turn to the Bible. Now, I wish I could say I'd always done that as a Christian. I wish I could say I'd always done that as a pastor, but I'll have to admit it was a 2020 woke me up a little bit, just a bit. I want to wake the whole world up. I want you to be right there with me. I'm not talking politics. I think prayer is better than politics. I think prayer impacts politics, but I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about believing that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the praises of God are alive inside of you. And when they come out around you, the heavens and the earth rejoice with you. And God goes to war for you. I want to inspire you in that. And the way we're going to do that next is we're going to shift from running into the tomb uh, to walking together on the journey. So we've got a long way to go, most of us, let's hope, before our actual graves. So let's, let's run toward Christ's tomb and then uh, well, let's journey together toward our own And as we journey together, we're going to start looking at some of the old stories of the Bible, particularly, say, Noah and Job and Abraham, and how all of these men had journeys through the same planet that we live on. And their stories are filled with wisdom and hope for us in Jesus Christ. And along the way, as we do that, though, we're going to stop from time to time and just take pit stops here and there like today. Well, we're going to dig into one section of Scripture for a very good reason. And today's goal is to give you the first emphasis on what Proverbs meant to Christians when Christians first read Proverbs. And this connects directly to where we just were as we were running with the churches in Berea, right? And in Antioch and in Philadelphia. But remember then, what did we learn about Antioch? A number of things, I hope. What changed about Christianity in Antioch? 
it was where they were first called Christians. Before that, years, almost a decade, Christianity wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. It was called the way. Implied was the way of Jesus Christ and the way of God. But that language that described what the early church, what Christianity is of the way, where the Jewish Christians got that was straight out of Solomon's Proverbs. And I just want to kind of fly over the top of that today and let you see it pop out as we go. So here we go. Would you find your way to the book of Proverbs? It begins on page 527 of your pew Bible. We're going to start with verse 31 of chapter 1, which was one of the last verses you heard read a few moments ago. As Lady Wisdom makes her appeal, look, listen to me, it's all going to go well. Reject me, I'm not going to help you. That's her plea here, right? But it's going to end with this verse 31, which is where we're going to start digging on this word way. So verse 31 of Proverbs chapter 1 says, Therefore, it is because they've rejected wisdom, they shall eat the fruit of their way. That is the second use of the word in the book of Proverbs. The first use is in verse 19. But it is an emphasis that the ways of the world, the many and wide paths of evil men, are in fact one. So someone who says all paths leads to God still means there's only one path, right? And here this text is very clear that whatever path you're on, you're going to get the fruit of that path. So if there's only one path all the way through everything, we're all going to the same place, we're all going to get the fruit of what we believe, or there's more than one path, and some are wrong, Maybe many of them are wrong. Maybe only one of them is right, and that is what we believe. There are, in fact, two paths. One is right, clear, straight, and narrow. There is the second path that is many, wide, open, and and leads to, to full perdition. Both produce fruit. And so the fruit of the righteous way, which we're going to get to, is life in Jesus Christ. And the fruit, well, the fruit of the evil way is that they have their fill of their own devices. Rest of the verse there. Devices, uh, schemes. They dig the pit and they fall into it. Now, this place where we're starting, I want you to scoop back up to verse 19 though and see the first place the book uses the word way because it's in the plural again. Verse 19 says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. That's everything that came before in verse 9, 10, and following. It just describes bloodthirsty, greedy people. Such are the ways, it says, of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So you have something there just about how greed is bad for you. We can focus on that. That's, That's what it's there to do. But you also have the introduction of this concept that there are ways of the men of blood. And then the next thing it's going to say is that wisdom is going to let them have each of their own individual ways in their wide and varied ways. He's going to let them have the fruit of their own devices. He's going to let them tear down their house with their own hands because they won't listen. Now, hopefully what that makes a reader want to do is find out how I can listen. (laughs) I don't want to be in that situation where I'm on the ways of the wicked. 
And so you keep reading and you find your way to chapter two, which is just the, the meat of the language of the way in the book of Proverbs. And it's really going to explode that word a little bit as we dig through it as well. Chapter two begins on the top of page 528. And I'm going to read uh, quite a bit of it here, but then we're going to slow down and only talk about sections. So it says this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And then we're going to go ahead and jump to verse 18. I'm talking about this uh, forbidden woman who is one of the evil ways. Her house stinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of light. So you will walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. I hope just as all of that went over you, you heard how many times way, ways, path, paths, and then even walk showed up as language. It's just peppered with it. And what I want to try to share with you is how it seems to be very intentional the placement of these words. And it's not just one or two. We, we heard way and path. Um, there's really three Hebrew words working throughout that whole section. And they come out most clearly uh, in verse eight and nine, I believe, uh, where it says, you know, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. You will understand righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. See, there you have the word paths, way, and path all right beside each other. But in Hebrew, it's actually three different words. Right? It's not just a plural versus a singular. It's three different words. And so I've spent some time trying to figure out what that means, why that's valuable. And, I, and I could, we could take like 45 minutes and dig through this whole chapter, but I'm just going to give you the, the cream today, if that's okay with you. I'm not proving anything. I'm suggesting to you, though, that there are three different 
types of way or path that Hebrew as a language conceives as the, the priority because they help you understand what the word means or what the, what the action that happens means. So you have this word way, which is kind of like direction, actually, right? One way, that kind of thing. It's a direction. And it's the most bland of all the words. It's a good one. It's the way. It's what the Christians called themselves, right? So the way of Jesus, the direction of Jesus. That makes sense. It's a good religion, the direction of Jesus, right? Discipleship of Jesus. So that's the first one. If you want the Hebrew, it's derech, uh, uh, which is daleth, uh, beth, resh. Uh, if you're keeping notes for that at home and all this. Uh, the, the second word, which is in Hebrews 2, verse uh, 8, the first paths there, okay, um, is not the word direct. That's the word way. The paths were there. Uh, that's the word uh, arach. And an arach could be a way. You could call it a way if you wanted to. But it's more like, like a, a route on a map, Right? So as opposed to being a one-way sign, it's the way to go, and you're planning to go there, and you can foresee it. All right, that's a rock. And so a, a good English word for this is it's a course. A route would work too, but I like the word course. So if you see uh, verse two, verse eight, or chapter two, verse eight again, consider the the phrase to read: uh, "He guards the courses of justice." Right. That kind of makes sense. And I'm gonna again explain the distinction between these three words one more time. But let me give you the last one first. Uh, that last one uh, is every good path at the end of verse 9. And that's the Hebrew word agal. Uh, and, and agal is more like a channel or a rut. Right? So whereas erek is like a course, an idea in my head about the way it's going to go, the direction of it, the, the course of the river. Right? Uh, the channel is more like the rut. It's the boundaries of the river. So between these three words, derek and uh, 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 arak and agal, but let's use them in English. This will make it easier, okay? Between way and course and channel, you have the Hebrew idea of the word way, which means not only to be, that's the word way, I'm in a direction being, but then I have things that keep me in, channels, boundaries, ruts I can't get out of, Right? And I also have a, a course I want to go, a direction I'm trying to move, right? While I'm simply actually where I am, where God has put me. And all three of these words come together with a fourth word that doesn't show up until chapter 16. It's kind of crazy. Chapter 16, there's one more word for way in the book of Proverbs. And it's only used in chapter 16, Psalm 84, 5. It shows up in 2 Chronicles. That's where you get the best feel for it because it's, what, it's the word that's used to describe when Solomon built the temple and he made this majestic, glorious building to the heights and power of God and all his sacrifices. He built these massive steps and like a colonnade with a, a place where you would go and sojourn, mosey, uh, sachet down the space. I'm avoiding a certain word. Uh, down the space uh, to get to the, the most beautiful part of all. Right? And that way, that special stone, gold-covered ivory way, or they called it a walk, that beautiful walk way, that's the fourth word, which then gets us from way, course, channel, three things describing where we are, walk, what we're doing. Now, if I can just put that all together for you, 
let me suggest the early Christians realized that our religion involves our bodies moving in certain directions and that we want to have them move in the direction the word of God pushes us. That's simple. That's simple. It's also that beautiful and that complex. And this involves the wreck, the way I am. And it involves a gall, the way the world is. And it involves uh, a car. Uh, I lose that one every time. A cock, a rock. It involves the way I want to go, right? All those are part of me. And what I actually walk like is all of those fighting for possession of me. But then, of course, the way of Christianity is to believe that Jesus Christ is the first, the direct, the way, the truth, the life. And so none of this is something that one as a Christian must achieve. Rather, baptism, anointing by Christ, your calling by the Spirit is the promise to you that he's taken you out of the ways of the wicked and he's set you on the way of righteousness, which gives you the freedom to stop looking at the ground all the time, worried about if you're going to fall off. You can stand up right now and walk. It's a transformational thinking set, words that give you a different way of understanding your world than the harping of the devil and all of his various nonsense and stories that he tells us. So the way again in chapter two is this threefold reality about how we live and move and have our beings seeking the words of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, this is going to show up at the end as part of a promise, but chapter 3 then really is like, what, what is this way, right? So pastor, you talked nice about colonnades and roads and ruts and channels, but what does this way thing even really mean? Well, let's go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting with verse 5, still page 528. Here's the way. Trust in the Lord. Um, we just confessed with the Trinitarian Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Uh, that's trust in the Father. That's also trust in Jesus Christ. And that's also trust in the Holy Spirit. If you can't say it all at once in your head at the same time, Jesus Christ is the name we're given to call on. So I do when I read this to myself. I, I see it as, and I actually say it aloud as, trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart. There it is. That's the way. That's the way of Christianity. Boiled down to one moment. Trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart. Now, Let's be careful, Lutherans. Somewhere in the background, a Lutheran is going to say, I can't do that. And if we're in a debate about how you become justified, then I would completely agree with you. But this isn't talking about how you get justified. This is about how you walk <laughs> as a Christian. Like now that you're justified by the promise of your anointing in Christ, what he has done for you on the cross, the atonement, the lavishing of his grace, the calling of you by him. Now that that's all happened, the way is to trust him. And when you find you can't do it perfectly, tell yourself, too bad. Try harder. I want to. I'm not going to stop. Father, I don't trust in you enough. Give me more. That's the way. Trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart, not as a law. This isn't something you have to try to do. This is something that's very freeing to do. Set the burden down. To let go of what I'm trying to be. To let God make me what I am. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Right? This can be as simple as every time in the morning you get up and go off to work and you got your day planner and you're like, I'm going to get this done, this done, this done. Just write Deo Valente on the top. Right? Deo Valente, God willing. Right? Uh, Jesus have mercy, whatever. In some way, stop in the morning and say to Jesus, today actually belongs to you. I've got all these ideas. 
right? I think, right? Uh, but I know it belongs to you. So let me be open to your way all day. And it says he will, he will make straight your paths. Now, I didn't look up that one in the Greek. I want to bet you it's channel, though. I bet you it's the one that keeps you in. Just a guess, though. Someone fact check me on that on the internet. He's going to make straight the road under your feet under any way you look at it, the way you go. Now, some gray wisdom coming out of this in verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Hear Jesus and turn away from evil. How would one be wise in his own eyes? I mean, you could just walk around and be like, I'm wise. I, I, I think people do that. We have boastful moments and arrogance is a problem. But let me suggest to you this one. How about being wise in your own eyes is when you read in the Bible and it was evening and morning the first day and you go, huh, yeah, that's kind of dumb. It can't possibly mean that, right? That's being wise in your own eyes. Right? The Bible says something and you're like, it's not right. That's wise in your own eyes. So don't be that. Fear Jesus and turn from evil. When the Bible calls something evil, turn from it. Walk away from it. Don't have anything to do with it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, tangent in my head that we'll leave for another day. Verse eight, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I don't think that means you're never going to get cancer, right? I think it means that the experience of the Christian life is a peace with life, an experience of peace with life. The world can be the whirlwind raging and storming and firing all around, but you've got the anchor. You've got the name of Jesus Christ. Not just far away, washed, marked on you with holy instruments, a crown that can never be taken away. The only thing that stops you from standing up in the storm is forgetting you have the crown on. Right? And so the battle is not to perfectly always remember. The battle is just today. Let's remember today. Because today is sufficient and God is our God. And he gave us a crown. Let's use it, you know. Verse 9. Honor Jesus with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now that's an interesting verse. If you're uh, not a fan of the prosperity gospel, as I am not a fan of the prosperity gospel, this is when uh, the preacher gets up and he basically, there's many paths to doing this, but there's only really one way to do it. He convinces you that your path to better health, financial prosperity, or general fame and fortune involves your giving money to church. And that if you want better, greater, more, then you've got to give more to church. And if I figure out how to make you believe that, I can, I can make a racket out of this thing. Um, I'm thankful to Jesus on this one. Praise be to God and pray for me. I, that has just never been a temptation of mine. I care too much about the word, but it could be. I'm a man. I'm just, as, I'm just as vulnerable. I just as easily can be wise in my own eye. But that's the reason why when it comes to this text, I don't want to say that can't be true. That sounds like the prosperity gospel. Well, <laughs> it really does just read, honor Jesus with your wealth and with your first fruits and your barns are going to be filled. It, it says it. Now, let me suggest we say this every week in church when we say, give us this day our daily bread. A full barn is enough for today. Because frankly, a full barn might be ruined tomorrow. You can store up all you want and have a tornado hit it. 
So if your goal is really to get around God, to stop God from giving you only what he gives you and to get more than he would have given you, you're going to run into brick walls all through life with your heart. Bam, bam, why can't I make my life work? When you receive what you have, when it's all from God, if you just stop for a second, I mean, you got enough today, right? No one's going home hungry this afternoon, right? We got plenty, in fact. And so here he just says, well, then honor Jesus with that, which doesn't necessarily mean tithe to church. We'll talk about tithing again in October. It's a good idea to tithe. But to honor God with your wealth is to use your actual body, mind, heart, and life for the good of Jesus' name, period. Forget St. Paul Lutheran Church. Forget our little club and organization and making ourselves the, the center point of focus. Think about worldwide Christianity and that you are the extension of that everlasting religion everywhere you go. So when you're standing in line at the supermarket and the world is spinning around you, if you just for a moment remember you're a Christian, you can start looking at people, asking Jesus, what do they believe? I don't know, and praying for them. And while that may or may not make good things happen in their life in some sort of like magical way, it'll change your heart. And it'll start to change your tongue. Because after you've prayed for someone in line, when they take too long to get out, it's harder to get mad. It just is. The way of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, it begins to tell you what we are. Not what you're supposed to be, what we are. Chapter four, five, six, and eight all touch on the idea of the way. And we're going to leave most of that for another time and just close with chapter six, verse 23, which I think in some ways summarizes the whole concept of the way very nicely. Uh, I didn't even really discover the depths of this verse until this morning. When I just happened to look at it one more time and I had a question and I went to the Hebrew and wouldn't you know, <laughs> there's a lot there. Uh, Romans 6, or Romans, Proverbs 6, 23, it's on page 531. It says this. It says, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So there's, there's the way, Right? the way of life. Uh, What is, I think, very interesting to me is that while way is in the singular, the word life is plural. I don't even know how to do that in English. I'm not sure we can. Life's, you know, lives. The way of life. It doesn't make any sense. Somehow there's something here about that word life uh, being the substance of what the way comes from. And that ties to what was said first, I think which has something like, do you remember these standardized testing things? You you hated this, so I even hate talking about it. But like, you know, this word is to this word as that word is to this word, right? Three and a half hours of that kind of stuff, right? But the, the point of that was to test your ability to think about truth, right? Can you make connections? It turned into a vocab test, right? But it was, can you make connections? And that's what's going on here in Proverbs 6.23. There's a connection being made. And it, it is like that problem that the commandment is to a lamp the way that Torah law 
is to light. Can you see what lies between a lamp and light? You can call the lamp the light. We do it all the time. Turn on the light, right? It's off, it's dark, and we call it a light, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's, it's a lamp. And that's a different thing than the light which comes from the lamp. And so here, the light which comes from the lamp is Torah, God's word. The lamp, the command, what is written. What is written? We can use commandment just to mean law. We can use law just to mean law in a law gospel way, but it's not the way the Bible uses the word. Not here. Now here, law is the good news, the commandment, the, re- the revelation, uh, the permanent reality that he is risen. Hallelujah. And you are baptized into his name. That's the commandment. Right? That's the Torah. That's all of it now as a promise that can never pass away. But again, to see that what is written is also then different from just revelation. It's not just what God said. It now has been inscribed. Not only on stone, that was where the Ten Commandments went, but here it is inscribed on paper. More than that, the New Testament. You know where God says he's going to write it, right? Do you remember this? Someone, someone tell me. Where does the New Testament promise God's going to write his law? Yeah, he's pointing your heart on you, on you. Right. So, out of time. The way of Jesus Christ was just a way of talking about Christianity in the early church, drawn from the book of Proverbs, which I hope to uh, inspire us a little today. And then as we go through various preaching series over the next forever together, uh, I, I reserve the right to just drop into Proverbs and talk about the way with you and build this life together that we walk. In the name of Jesus, amen.